The reading today is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. And in fact, we're going to read most of the chapter, starting from verse 1. So it's 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now we move on to verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now moving on to verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. But God gives us a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. 
it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then moving on to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Please do be seated. I believe that we are meant to think about the end of the story more than we do. I believe that we're meant to think about the end of the story more than we do. When I was uh, younger, I I really quite liked the books of an author called Jack Higgins. Has anyone heard of uh, Jack Higgins? He used to write crime uh, novels. I used to be really hooked into them, and and what I would often do when I, I started to read one of these books... And there was a character that I was growing to like. I would flick to the end of the book. I wouldn't read it, but I would scan the last couple of pages and see if the name of the character (laughs) was still there um, at the end of the story. I I know, I know for some of you that is the unforgivable sin. Just let the story tell itself, John. Find out, you know, don't, don't, don't spoilers. Uh, No spoilers. But for me, it was important to know something of the end of the story before I got there. I'm sure some of you are reading books right now wondering, you know, will the, will the hero survive? Will there be justice? Will there be a wedding at the end? Something along those lines. But I suspect the truth is that very few of us today think about the end of our own story. Other than acknowledging that one day we'll die, most of us tend to focus um, on the here and now and the pressures and the, the trials and the issues of the moment. And that's clearly a wise 
and appropriate thing to do as we journey through life. Nevertheless, I do believe that we are supposed to think about the end of the story more than we do. Because one day our story will end on this earth. And when it does, the real story actually, the story, uh, the, the eternal story, the, the, the what we were made for story, if you like, will actually really begin. And part of the glory of Christmas is the realization that Jesus was not just uh, born to be our hope in this life, as we were looking at a few weeks ago. He wasn't just born to be our example in this life, as we looked at again a couple of weeks ago, or last week. He wasn't just born to, to give us freedom in this life. But that he was born with one eye on the end of his story. He was born, if you like, to defeat death. He was born to die. And gloriously, more than that, he was, um, you know, this, this defeating of death was a way for which all those who believe and trust in him could follow. This is why we sing at Christmas as we did with our first song, O come thou rod of Jesse, come and give them victory over the grave. Or as Mike alluded to, as we often sing in Hark, the herald angels sing, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth and born to give them second birth. And I couldn't think of a better place to consider all of this than 1 Corinthians 15. Because 1 Corinthians 15 is all about resurrection. And resurrection, if nothing else, is all about death defeated. We heard snippets of it read earlier. There's loads in 1 Corinthians 15. We could spend a whole series, weeks and weeks and weeks on it. But we've only got time for a quick overview today. And that's why I asked asked Rodney if he would just read those few selected passages out of it. It's a bird's eye view, if you like, of 1 Corinthians 15. That's what we're just looking at this morning. And as we get that bird's eye view, I hope that we will see that Paul answers three questions. Is death really defeated? How is death defeated? And then why? Why is death defeated? So if you've got your Bibles, please do turn uh, back to uh, this great chapter, 1 Corinthians uh, 15. It begins on page 1155. Uh, And as Mike said, there are some sheets. I think they've... uh, um, been distributed, but there's one uh, if you want to fill in as you go along, and, and uh, there's some gaps on there, so I'm not giving you everything, but you can fill in as you go along. There's another one uh, which has got a translation on it if you're from Hong Kong as well, although that will come up on the screen, um, but it's also got the English on there as well, so you can, uh, you can use that as, as you uh, see fit. But let me, before we go any further, let me pray for us. Father, this morning we want to uh, praise you once again for sending your son Jesus in human flesh. And in the short time that we have, help us to understand what it means that he was born to defeat death. And may not just our understanding, but our very lives be changed as a result. And we pray this in anticipation and in faith of what you will do this morning by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So, a brief uh, bit of background then. Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, to a bunch of Christians in a place called Corinth. That's what we now know as uh, modern-day Greece. He's writing to remind them of gospel basics. It appears that some of them thought there was no physical resurrection uh, from the dead. And so Paul writes to correct them. So if you take a look at verse 12 of chapter 15, he says, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you say that if, if it's really the case, verse 19, that it's only for this life, he says, verse 19, if it's only for this life, just over the page, if it's only for this part of the story that we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. If that's the case. Why? Because if there is no resurrection of Jesus, there is no salvation, there, there is no real saviour he's dead if there's no resurrection of Jesus there's no forgiveness for the wrong things that we do and if there is no resurrection of Jesus then there's no hope for us of a resurrected eternity with our creator plainly stated without the resurrection of Jesus the few billion people around our globe today who say that they worship Jesus as God me included are gullible. Our hope that that death is defeated is actually the hope of a bunch of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give us a life that doesn't really exist. But needless to say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus achieved what he was born to do, to defeat death. And so does Paul. Really, Really, you ask, is death really defeated? Yes, yes, look at the evidence, Paul says. Paul's certainty that death is defeated is based on evidence. So if you look down at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15, you'll see that for him, the gospel basics, what are the gospel basics for Paul? Jesus dying, Jesus being buried, Jesus coming back to life, being resurrected, all of those gospel basics are in accordance with what in verses 3 and 4? What does it say in verse 3 and 4? What's all of that in accordance with? Scripture, God's word. All of that is in, in accordance with God's word. These events didn't just happen by accident. They were planned for a purpose. There's evidence in Scripture. Okay, well, if you, if you don't believe me and, and you don't believe the evidence of, of Scripture, that's fine, Paul says. That's fine. But you might. You might want to check with Peter, verse 5, he says. You might, you might want to actually check with the 12, also verse 5. In fact, you might want to check with the 500, verse 6, whom Jesus appeared to at one time. And then check with Jesus' brother, he says, verse 7, who used to think that Jesus was a bit of a madman or, you know, a nutcase. But now all of those people, all of them, are convinced that he is alive. Look at the evidence. First, you've got the evidence of scripture, but you've also got the evidence of people. You've got the evidence of skeptics who have become witnesses who were not expecting the resurrection. 
And then there's the evidence of Jesus' physical resurrected body. And the fact that he is alive, which we see in verse 20, whether, whether we choose to believe it or not, the fact that he is alive acts as a guarantee, we're told. It acts as a promise. It acts as a, a foretaste, verse 23, that all those who do believe and trust in him will themselves defeat death and enjoy a similar physical bodily resurrection. I have uh, many happy memories of family mealtimes growing up um, as a lad. One of my favourites is Sunday lunch, was Sunday lunch. Uh, the Teasdale home was quite traditional um, in, in that regard. We would walk back into the house after, after church to the wonderful smell of a roast uh, dinner being cooked. There's nothing quite like that, is there? Just that, ro- that smell as you come back in. And I remember the anticipation in that particularly if it was roast lamb. I remember the the anticipation of of what was to come. But my sister and I, we we had to wait. (laughs) There was vegetables to cook. There was the gravy to prepare. There was the the table to set. You know, we had to help with that. And, and, you know, we had to get involved. But when it came to carving time, my sister and I, we longed to be the ones who would have that first nibble, <laughs> that first little bit of the meat as it, was, as it was cut off, that first shiny, juicy bit of lamb. Ooh. Anyone hungry? Uh, <laughs> now, being the model kids that we were, we never, ever pestered our parents. <laughs> no, I want it this time. I no, no, we never did anything like that. But just occasionally, mum or dad would carve off a piece of that meat, and they would hand it to either me or my sister and allow us to get the first taste. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful sample. It's a foretaste of what we were about to enjoy in that glorious meal that was being prepared. And so it is a little bit like that with Jesus' resurrection. Just a little bit. It's a sample, Jesus' resurrection. It's a foretaste. Of, you know, the, 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 that taste of much more of the same to come. So, when we spend time thinking about the end of our own story and we're tempted to doubt whether our own physical bodily resurrection or indeed the physical bodily resurrection of those that we may have lost and and those that we have loved and may have already died whether we're tempted to believe that that will really happen or or when there are opportunities to discuss this sort of theme with with sceptical friends, with family with, with work colleagues who don't want to think about the end of of the story, and who dismiss our hope and goad us by saying, it's just wishful thinking, you know, face facts, this life is all there is, there's nothing more. It's in those times that we need to reflect and dwell and meditate on this evidence, the evidence of scripture, the evidence of hundreds of eyewitnesses, the evidence of Jesus' own resurrected body, which guarantees for us the certainty of our own bodily resurrections at the end of this story and the beginning of the next. Okay, Paul, you can hear his detractors say, we're almost with you on this one. We're almost with you. But how? How? How is death really defeated? Because let's be honest, 
Our future hope in this glorious resurrection just blows our minds, doesn't it? We can't quite compute it. And even though many of us believe it, like the Corinthian believers, we struggle to understand how our material bodies, bodies, as we heard, that are made of flesh and blood, bodies that are subject to sickness and decay and death and decomposition even, we cannot understand how they will be fully resurrected and actually live forever. How? How will my death be defeated? How will I be raised? What kind of body will I have? And Paul says, it's really quite simple. Just look around you. And when you do, you will see that the creator has written into his creation the very principle of resurrection. Therefore, when you see this principle in action, it should give you some clue as to what your own resurrection will be like. So firstly, he says, take the seed that is sown. This is verse um, 36 and verse 37. Take the seed that is sown. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In order for it to grow, it must first die and change. Without death, And burial, there can be no new life. The subsequent plant that grows, it grows from the same seed, but it is in some way different. Or take the second example, verse 38 and 39. Paul says that God created flesh, but that not all flesh is the same. And so there are humans and there are animals And there are birds and there are fish. They are the same flesh, but they're different. And all of them are are, are perfectly suited to the environment that God has created them to exist in. And as there are physical earthly bodies, so there will be physical heavenly bodies. Perfectly suited to their new environment. The same but different, having defeated death and been resurrected. Paul then goes on to give us some wonderfully encouraging glimpses of how these physical resurrected bodies will be different. So if you look in uh, verse 42, we see that they will be imperishable. They're not going to wear out. They're not going to grow old. They won't ever again be subject to any kind of disease or or sickness or sin. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I'm not 50 yet, uh, but I am so conscious of how the fall is affecting my own body. Uh, I increasingly can't see. You'll have noticed over the last few weeks how I'm increasingly reliant on, on these things. Um, I take pills daily for um, a gut problem. I've shared some of this with you before. My hands go so cold in, in this weather, I can't, sometimes can't feel them. Um, I've had cancerous parts of my skin cut off. And my hair's thinning. My barber t- tells me now I'm just better off shaving it, John. You know, just <laughs> don't worry about it. Seriously, in one sense, I can't wait for that imperishability. I can't. 
You know this only too well yourselves, though, don't you? You see the effects of the fall in your own bodies. Decay. Disease. Sickness. How many of us are struggling with even just a bit of a throat or a, a cold or something at the moment? Things not working like they once used to work. I wish they did. For those of you who are teenagers or in your early 20s here this morning, you need to hear this. Your bodies are literally in their prime right now. But part of the effect of the original sin on you is that once you've got past 20 or 5 or 30, (laughs) it is a downward trajectory, physically speaking. And for all of us, whether we are young or whether we are old, whether we are healthy right now or whether we're sick, whether we're looking forward to the rest of our story as it lays out in front of us or whether we know that we're nearly at the end of our story, Paul would have all of us look forward to our resurrection existence and take comfort from knowing that whatever we are going through now or whatever you will go through as you get older, As the body decays, as it declines, you will not experience that in your resurrection body. You will be healthy. You will be free from disease or injury. You will enjoy your humanity as God always designed it to be. Imperishable. Secondly, uh, more briefly, verse 43, our uh, future bodies will be glorious. We're told in verse 43 they'll be glorious. It's a description that conveys shining beauty and attractiveness, radiance. It's interestingly reinforced in the Old Testament by Daniel, who declares this. He declares, the resurrection bodies of the wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky and the stars. That's what your resurrection body will be like. Glorious. A third glimpse, still verse 43 is that our bodies will be raised in power. Contrasting starkly, frankly, with our current weakness. We'll be raised in power. That doesn't mean we'll suddenly all turn into superheroes. God will still be God. We will still be his creation. But we will have the fullness of strength that God always designed for us to have. Again, perfectly suited for our environment. And finally, verse 44 Our resurrected bodies are described as spiritual. Now, they're described as spiritual not because they're um, non-physical. We've already seen that they will be physical. But because they are supernatural and they are perfectly, or they will be now then, perfectly in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's why they're described as spiritual. Both uh, in tune with the, the Spirit's character and his activity. Friends, all these glimpses are designed to encourage us to accept the present reality of our natural decay and our health problems. I don't know what all of you are going through right now, but often we feel, don't we, that we, <laughs> we should be fit, we should be healthy, uh, we, should, we shouldn't have this affliction, We should look younger than we do. We think like this. But that way of thinking is a way of thinking that has been deceived. Because the effect of sin means the reality is the opposite of that. It is disease. It is decay. It is death. 
I mean, yes, we have the NHS. Yes, we have medical breakthroughs that can offset that temporarily. And we should be grateful for that blessing from God. Nevertheless, we have to face the fact that full health is for the end of the story. It's not the norm for now. In all these glimpses um, of the of the nature of our resurrected bodies, Paul is trying to describe almost that that indescribable process of transformation. It's hard. It is hard to describe. And ultimately, Scripture doesn't say exactly how this will happen. So maybe for you, questions still remain. Maybe like me, you have known believers who have died in tragic circumstances. And you can't quite get your head around how God is going to do that transformation. When, for example, there is no physical body that remains. Or part of that physical body was lost. Or was just never there from birth. Maybe you're, like me, you, you, you struggle to get your head around that. Well, the, thing, the simple and liberating sort of answer that I have learned to take on board about this is that we just don't need to understand that. Just because we, we can't grasp and handle the how exactly doesn't mean that we need to give up the truth of the fact that it will happen. It's promised to us here in God's word. And so we need to confidently say that the God of this, this very creation, who, remember, took nothing and made all of this by his word out of nothing, that God is much more able to take whatever remains of our physical body in the grave, whether it's much or little, and he is able to transform it into an imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual but physical body. He's able to do it. It's incredible. This is what death defeated will look like for all those who are believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus. Born to defeat death. Really? Absolutely. Look at the evidence. How? Well, actually, by going through decay to death to become this imperishable, this glorious, this powerful, this spiritual being. Okay. But why? Why? Why is death defeated? And in many ways, the key to understanding all this is where uh, the last bit that Rodney uh, read for us earlier, uh, um, verse 50, towards the end of the chapter, where Paul says this. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imp- does the perishable sorry, inherit the imperishable. Why is that? Why? Answer, because sin needs to be defeated. You see, the previous verses might well leave us thinking, all I need is just a physical transformation and I'm sorted. But you know what? Our current perishable, our current dishonorable, weak, natural bodies are a sign of God's judgment on our sin. And the crucial thing is this, that for me to be in God's kingdom, for you to be in God's kingdom, sin must be eradicated from us. It's got to go. 
Flesh and blood in its corruptible current form cannot inherit the eternally incorruptible kingdom of God. It just can't do it. Now, it may well be that you're here this morning and you're not a believer. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're quite interested to come amongst us. Maybe you're watching online. You, you, you wouldn't actually label yourself as a Christian. Maybe you've never given any serious thought to the end of your story. Well, the Bible makes clear that the end of the story affects everyone. I mentioned the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Here he is again. He says this. He says, those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In other words, we will all be raised up at the end of the story. The question is where to? Everlasting life or everlasting death? And the Bible teaches that we all sin. By that it means that we put ourselves first in life. We, we act like we are God of our lives. We ignore God. We turn from him. We rebel against him. We ignore our creator. And the Bible says that the penalty of that sin is death. Paul describes it in verse 56 as a sting. Death he describes as a sting. Now we tend to think of nettles and bees and wasps, don't we, when we think of uh, stings. Um, They're annoying, uh, mildly inconvenient at at worst. But stings can be fatal. Uh, Whilst I used to be in the RAF, I deployed numerous times to the Middle East. Uh, Every time before we we left, we were briefed on many things, on on what to expect and uh, and how to stay safe. And one of the things we were briefed on was to stay out of the way of any friendly scorpions that might decide to come into our tents. Um, The reason? Because the sting of a scorpion can be fatal. It can kill you in minutes. And, And likewise, death sting sin is fatal. Eternally fatal. Because if you are not right with God when you die, God will reject you in a judgment that he is perfectly entitled to make. And that judgment will lead to everlasting contempt in a place that we commonly refer to as hell. But... But the wonderful news that Paul is proclaiming here is this. God doesn't want you to go there. God doesn't want you to go there. He longs for you to turn back to him, to turn from going in your own direction, to turn back to him and to trust him. To not trust yourself. So much so that as we celebrate at Christmas, he sent his own son in human form, born a baby, in a manger, to grow up into a lad, to grow into a man, to spend 30 years on this earth plus, and then to die on a cross in your place. In other words, that fatal sting of death can be removed For you. 
And the best thing of all, it's free. It's a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it by what you do. You just receive it with repentance. You receive it in faith, with gratitude, with awe. At what it cost and what we receive. (laughs) It literally is the best Christmas present there could ever be. No wonder Paul gets moved to pen verses 55 and 57 to quote, where, where, oh death, is your victory now? You could say, come on, death, where is it? Where, oh death, is your sting? Verse 37, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's great stuff. It's amazing stuff. So where does all this leave those of us who would call ourselves Christians? I think there are two things that we need to grasp. Firstly, know that you won't be without sin in this life. You won't. Yes, as Christians, we have God dwelling in us by his Holy Spirit, but sin will still affect us. There will still be part of us that wants to rebel. There will be still be part of us that wants to disobey. That's in our nature, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. It's, you, know, you know what it's like when you go to the swimming pool, you see that sign, no bombing, or you walk past that bit of grass, it says, don't walk on the grass. What's the first thing you want to do? I want to try that bit of grass. I, I didn't know what bombing was when I was a younger lad until I saw the sign telling me no bombing. I said, what's that? Oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. You know, this is what, this is what sin is like for us. It has an effect. It's, an, it's sin's nature. And we need to know and be realistic that we won't be without it until the end of the story. On the other hand, know that you will be sinless beyond this life. And so if you are despairing this morning, if you feel like you fail time and 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 time again, And please allow the truth of these verses to encourage you that this state is only temporary. Your sinful habits, your flaws, your infirmity, your depression, your prison, your pain. None of that will be part of who you will be recreated to be. None of it. So look ahead to the end of the story. Look ahead to the victory that is yours over all of those things. That victory is yours through Jesus Christ. Paul concludes his argument full of hope. Hope that the truth of the end of the story will have radical implications for us struggling through the middle of our stories. You see, for Paul, right right thinking and right theology was nothing if it wasn't met with correspondent behavior and actions. It wasn't really interested in that. The two had to marry up, right thinking and right action. So can I encourage us, St. John's, Not to be swayed 
Not to be swayed by competing world views that, that say that belief in the resurrection of the dead is just pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. Rather, let's take our lead from the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. It's verse 58. Knowing that we won't be without sin in this life, let's put everything into fighting it now. Rejoicing that one day it will be gone. Let's abound in the Lord's work, Paul says. Abound in the work, knowing that our efforts in the Lord are not in vain and will be of eternal value. They don't earn our salvation. It's the fruit, not the root of it. And then let's stand firm. Together, let's stand firm, not allowing anything to move us in our faith. Do you see why we are meant to think about the end of the story, perhaps more than we do? For Christians, the the end of the story is really only the beginning. As we enter into eternity, with our loving God. Some of you will know this, but C.S. Lewis captures this brilliantly at the end of his Narnia series. Let me just read the last paragraph from his last book. And for us, this is the end of all stories. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on your word individually, corporately as a church, throughout today, into this week. Please would you help us to remember that death defeated is a certainty. We thank you for the evidence that you give us for that. Please would you encourage us with reminders of the nature of our resurrected bodies. We thank you that they will be the same and yet gloriously different. And Father, please would you help each one of us to be realistic in knowing that we're not going to be without sin in this life, but that one day it will be gone. Father, please would you help each and every one of us to think about the end of the story more than we may currently do. And we ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.